Is Josiah Ricewick here? Are you in? He's out there? I wonder if he can hear me now. He probably thinks he's in trouble. Uh, Andrew, would you be willing to stop and let's just pray for Ashley? I'm really emotional about this thing. I need the help. Get there. Would you stop and let's just pray for Ashley real quickly? Would you mind? Thank you. Amen. Thank you. Also reminds me, we need more nursery volunteers big time. We're going to baptize little Levi Hammond next week, and I think there's four more in a row here. So um, of all the problems for a church to have, that is the one you want, right? (laughs) So that's encouraging. Uh, So tomorrow is Valentine's Day, right? It's a good reminder for you men in case you had forgotten about it. And, uh, you know, it is tradition in our culture to... uh, to, to give your Valentine, someone who's special to you, uh, uh, something that is evidence of the, of the love, uh, evidence of your heart uh, towards them. And it's often that we give candy or flowers or take them on an expensive dinner or something like that. Uh, you come to Christ Form Church for truth. You ought to come for good advice. So I have some advice for you this year. If you really want to express profound heart evidence, love towards your Valentine, what you'll do this year, you skip the candy, skip the flowers, skip the expensive dinner, buy them a gallon of gasoline. We wouldn't normally encourage you to get out alone to buy a gift, but that might be the very thing this, this day and age that tells them how much you uh, love them. But if you want to know a little bit about Valentine's, where it comes from, the, the culture has largely forgotten the reason for it. But remember, it's St. Valentine's Day. St. Valentine was a patron saint uh, in uh, Italy during the 3rd century. He was imprisoned for his for his faith and also for his commitment to marriage. Uh, The emperor decided that soldiers would be more brave if they didn't have marriage, so he was performing secret marriages and things like that. When he was imprisoned, he would reach out and grab leaves from a maple tree and write little notes of encouragement and love uh, to his congregation. And these little Valentine's cards came down to us uh, through Christian history. He was eventually martyred and buried on February 14th on the Via uh, Flaminia, uh, the road that leaves up from Rome and up, Rome up to the mountains. Interesting, that is also the same place where Constantine had his great vision in the sky of Cairo and where Christianity received official recognition from the Roman Empire. But today, in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and, and the first part of chapter 7, we're going to see the Apostle Paul basically writing uh, a note of heart evidences, little Valentine in a sense, to the congregation of Corinth, his troubled congregation which he uh, dearly loves uh, so much. And uh, what, you're, what we're going to see here, uh, we're looking at verses 6, 11 through 13, and 7, 2 through 4 uh, this morning. The astute observer would recognize that we skipped a section there. Uh, that section is something of a parenthesis on avoiding contact and avoiding fellowship with false teachers. So we'll get back to that down the road, but we want to pick up on the idea of heart evidences here. And uh, the Apostle Paul is having, again, to defend himself against 
false teachers who have accused him, evidently, of not loving the Corinthians. He's just in it for himself. He's in it for the gain. He's in it for probably a lot of the same reasons the false teachers are actually in it. So like Valentine, Paul wanted the congregation to know that, uh, that he loved them. Like Valentine, he wrote to them to prove it. And like Valentine, he lived for them and died for them in order to prove it. So let's go to the Lord in prayer and unlock this amazing, uh, in a sense, Valentine card from the Apostle Paul to his Corinthian church this morning. Father, in faith, we turn to you, Lord, and uh, we just recognize the fact that we are not as loving as we need to be. And we think about the Apostle Paul. Most of us would have long given up on the Corinthian church, and he just stayed into the fight. They were his troubled church. But really, in so many ways, like a parent that has a disabled child, there's a special love for that child uh, even perhaps a greater love for that child that is, uh, that is struggling in so many ways. It is the prodigal that so often has the heart of the Father. And that is certainly the case with the Apostle Paul in the Corinthian church. But Lord, also as Paul writes, we recognize that in many ways we are the Corinthian church. And we fail in so many ways to be the Christians that we would want to be, that we know that you would want us to be. So let us go to school on the example of the Apostle Paul, his great love for the Corinthian church as he just demonstrates these heart evidences of love that should be apparent in all Christian lives. Bless us now, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. I'm going to read the entire passage this morning, but you will be assisted by looking at your home group helps. Uh, We're going to be actually looking at 10 heart evidences of love uh, this seems to be the best way to broke this down. I borrowed some of this from, uh, from other commentators in terms of the way it was organized, but I think it's very helpful, and lists always help us, I think, uh, make, make things a little bit more simple uh, to understand. But I'll call your attention again to 2 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning in verse 11, and then we will go through 11 through 13, and then over to chapter 7, verses 2 through 4. God says, Paul writes, Our mouth has spoken freely to you, O Corinthians. Our heart is opened wide. You are not restrained by us, but you are restrained in your own affections. Now in a like exchange, I speak as to children. Open wide to us also. And then down in chapter 7. Make room for us in your hearts. We wronged no one. We corrupted no one. We took advantage of no one. I do not speak to condemn you. For I have said before that you are in our hearts to die together and to live together. Great is my confidence in you. Great is my boasting on your behalf. I am filled with comfort. I am overflowing with joy in all our affliction. Now as we look here at the ten evidences of love, the first one is open honesty. You see this in verse 11, right? Our, our mouth is open freely to you, O Corinthians. Our heart is open wide. Can you just feel the emotion? That the Apostle Paul is, is appealing to here. Uh, he is, he, Paul is basically saying he has been candid, he's been straightforward, he has been very gracious, but also very direct. There should be no confusion over what the, the Apostle Paul means. He is who he is. He's, he, he, doesn't, uh, he doesn't seek to hide who he is or what he's saying. Uh, as, uh, as Jesus says in Matthew chapter 12, Uh, uh, The mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart, and Paul's heart is filled with truth and filled with love. That should be the the content of every one of your hearts, truth and love. And you don't use one to compromise the other. You've got to stay in the center of biblical tension here. 
Paul, uh, Paul reminds uh, them of, uh, uh, reminds the Ephesians of this similar uh, form of, uh, of integrity here, this honesty, where he says in chapter 4 of uh, Ephesians, uh, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all respects. There's not this craftiness. Paul, it's interesting, Paul is consistently condemning the manipulation of false teachers in the lives of these folks. And they should be able to very clearly see the difference between Paul and what's going on around them. He reminds the Ephesian elders in the book of Acts when he met with them at Miletus, I did not shrink from declaring you to you the whole purpose of God. Now, when people, people will often avoid the whole purpose of God because it's awkward. Or perhaps it could be misunderstood or because it comes uh, unloving. And, and I just think about, you know, one of the things, one reason, the, the advantages of a, a expository preaching is the text is the message. What God is trying to communicate through the apostle, through the prophet, is actually what you need to hear. And we don't need to avoid parts of it. We don't, if we don't fully understand it, we tell people fully understand it. Not every part is appropriate for every audience. You probably don't want to read the, the Song of Solomon to your eight-year-old. But nevertheless, it is all inspired, and it's important. And the Holy Spirit has promised to be along with that. So we just don't have to be cute. We don't have to be clever. We don't have to cover up the message. You know, your mama, to get you to eat sweet peas, she buried them in mashed potatoes, right? We, you know, a, a real Christian can handle sweet peas, right? Uh, so he, he, he's, he's, he's saying here, I, I, my mouth has spoken freely because my heart is open wide. He's willing, because he's loving, he's willing to tell you the hard things. Yeah, that's a good friend. That's the way a spouse ought to be. That's the way any one of us ought to be. Proverbs 27 says this, Better is open rebuke than love that is concealed. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceit are the kisses of an enemy. And there's always a danger to the person who opens their heart wide, right? I mean, this is, this is one reason why sometimes older people can seem sort of... Um, aloof maybe, estranged, unconnected, unaffectionate, because they have spent a lifetime of being hurt, of being trampled upon. And you kind of build up some calluses over time, but that's dangerous for all of us. If, you, if your motive to avoid relationships is due to bitterness of the past, that's just not going to get better by isolating yourself. What you need to do is lean into other people, and will you get hurt? I can guarantee you'll get hurt, but it's worth it. Take the example of the Apostle Paul. How many times could he have just given up on them? But he's not, he is not some uh, bitter old crodger. At this point in time, he really is an older man. He's not some just bitter old man who is, um, who is just uh, going to just vent uh, upon them. His heart is open wide for them, on them. Here's the thing. We, do you trust God for your salvation? We do, right? Only God can say we need to trust God also for our relationships. You will be hurt, but God is bigger than that. And with every hurt, you grow in wisdom. So we need to have our hearts that are open wide to others. A lot of people are avoiding contact with humans, and it got a whole lot easier with COVID. What a great excuse, right? Just to insulate ourselves. But if you withdraw from your, yourself, I'm just telling you, you just don't want to live that kind of life. You want to live a life where people will miss you, not a life where they didn't even notice that you were gone. 
You must take care of the relationships. You trust God for relationships as you do even in your own salvation. Why? Because love, according to Paul, when he's already told the Corinthians, or 1 Corinthians 13, 7, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endure all things. It's better to be hurt than to be bitter. It really is. And I think about a lifestyle of just giving your life to others. I couldn't help but think about the example of the Moravian missionaries, the pietists that came over. Uh, two of them went to the, um, the Dutch East Indies and literally, they had such a heart for slaves, for African slaves working there on the plantations of the Dutch East Indies. One of them was a carpenter, one of them was a potter. They literally sold themselves into slavery in order to be able to work alongside the slaves to give them an example. What an example of your heart being open wide, setting yourself for pain and difficulty and everything else for the sake of the, the ministry. See here, the second one here is a genuine affection. You see this in verse 12. You are not restrained by us, but you are restrained in your own affliction. So the fault lies not with Paul, as the false teachers have been blaming him. The fault lies with them. Uh, he is experiencing, in a sense, emotional banishment from some of them. They are restrained in their own affection. That idea of restraint means to make narrow. In, in other words, they have squeezed Paul out of their hearts after all that he has done for them, and they know him. He's no stranger. He lived there for a year and a half. They have squeezed Paul out of their hearts. And what Paul is looking for is not just a commitment, but a love. He's looking for reciprocity. He's looking for, I am giving, pouring out my heart for you. You should be doing the same uh, in return. You know, if you, uh, it's been a month since I've had a Lord of the Rings illustration, so here comes one. Um, one of the most touching scenes in all those movies, I'm a Samwise Gamgee fan. I think the whole movie is really about Sam. Uh, he's just sort of the unsung hero. But uh, there's this touching scene when they're climbing the stairs to get, to get into, uh, 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 what do you got? Um, Mordor, thank you. Thank you. I knew I could get some help because we are a church of nerds. Uh, <laughs> get into Mordor, uh, about to go into Shelob's lair and everything. And uh, Gollum, the evil one, has convinced uh, Frodo, that Sam wants the ring, that he's going to try to take the ring. And at one point in time, Sam, out of the goodness of his heart, offers to help Frodo with the ring. And Frodo, because of the influence of Gollum, banishes Sam. And Sam goes down, finds out that Gollum had thrown the food off the, uh, the, the lamus bread off of the, the cliff and everything, and runs back and ends up coming to the rescue. But that's exactly what's happened in Corinth. Here is Paul has been the most faithful, this most lovely, and the false teachers come in and says, he wants the ring for himself. You know? uh, he, he just wants to use you for his own purposes. And he's having to make a defense here. We see here a united community in verse 13 and verse 7 2a, the beginning part of that. Now in a like exchange, I speak to children. Open wide to us also. Make room in your hearts here. So here you got this whole principle of opening up your heart. Um, he, he expects, as a father loves a child, he expects the child to love back in, in return. Indeed, it's natural. What the Corinthians are really kind of doing, they're going against what's natural. They should have an overflowing love and gratitude towards Paul for all that he has done for them. And he speaks to them as children. He is their spiritual father. They should live in gratitude, love. They should trust him as a child trusts their parents. And he says, make room in your hearts. So there's just this tender, vulnerable appeal here. He's appealing to loving loyalty. Now listen, Paul didn't need them. He knew strategically 
The church of Corinth was very important. If we're going to reach all of Europe and obey the Lord, we really need, uh, we need all of that. And of course, this also follows after his instructions about how to separate from false teachers here. So he's, the problem is, is that, is that you know, he is, he's brokenhearted. He cannot separate himself from the emotion here. And you can just feel that with every word that he says here. And the other thing, too, is you remember, nature abhors a void, right? It abhors a vacuum. So if Paul is not going to be their spiritual father, there's plenty of other false teachers that are willing to take that role. There's a danger here, Christians. If you don't get your, your, your love from the Lord and you're not committed to the community of this church, there's always something out there that's ready to take you away, something out there that's uh, ready to distract you from what's more important. You also see consistent fairness here, the, the fourth one. Uh, verse 7, 2b, we wrong no one, we corrupted no one. Now, the reason why Paul brings this up is you remember back in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, there was an incestuous man, a man that literally had his father's wife. And Paul says, you need to excommunicate this man. I've already judged everything. Evidently, that man was pretty popular. Evidently, he was wealthy. That's probably one reason why it was difficult to get rid of him. And now you see, you see people taking an offense for someone else. Well, Paul made that guy leave the church. You know, this sort of thing here. So he's having to defend the fact that he has wronged no one, he has corrupted no one. That idea of corruption is moral corruption here. Same use of that word in 1 Corinthians 15 where he says, bad company corrupts good morals. And if what you're going to notice here with all the Paul's defenses, he is, he is countering the big three things that false teachers always go for and the motivation behind everything they do. Money, power, and sex. Money, power, and sex. You, just, you, you check on that trail you, and you get the motivation of why false teachers do what false teachers do. The cults are full of that kind of thing. And Paul is saying, I'm not like that. I am not like that. But what they've done is they've actually accused him of those very same things. This is, this is classic Joseph Goebbels. This is classic Nazi propaganda. One of the things uh, Goebbels told everybody to do and taught in his propaganda was what you do is you accuse your opponents of doing the very things you're doing. Well, these people are just, they they, they are tyrants. Uh, They are thugs. They go around beating up their opponents, which is exactly what the Nazis did. But they just turned it around on their opponents, and everybody got all over the opponents instead of the Nazis. This is what these people are doing to the Apostle Paul. He has honest dealing in verse 7, 2. We took advantage of no one's. Paul never manipulated anybody. He never had their, his hand in their pockets. He was not in it for the gain. 2 Corinthians 12, he'll go on to remind them, Here, for this first time, I'm ready to come to you. I will not be a burden to any of you, for I do not seek what is yours but you. For children are not responsible to save up for their parents, but parents for their children. I will most gladly spend and be expended for your souls. If I love you more, am I to be loved less? But be that it may, may, I will not burden you myself. Nevertheless, crafty fellow that I am, I took you by deceit. He's being, of course, his tongue-in-cheek here. Certainly I have not taken advantage of you through any of those whom I have sent to you, have I? I urged Titus to go, and I sent, uh, him the, uh, sent the brother with him. Titus did not take advantage of you, did he? Did we not conduct ourselves in the same spirit and walk in the same steps? There is just a, a selflessness with the Apostle Paul that he lived out in front of them for years. He shouldn't have to be defended. Other people ought to be covering his back. They ought to be looking out for him. You need to do that. You need to, you need to defend the reputation 
of others. But this, this honest dealing, this selflessness is powerful. Wow, we, you know, this church could change the world if we would get our eyes off of ourselves. Absolutely change the world. Linsky said this, Cure selfishness and you have just replanted the Garden of Eden. Contrast two prophets in the Old Testament. We got one of our, our, our costumes is going through uh, Hosea right now with uh, a group of ladies. Contrast these two prophets, Balaam and Hosea, right? Balaam, they're both in a sense were prophets. They both spoke truth. They had some kind of insight from God. Balaam did it for money to bring corruption upon Israel. Hosea selflessly was willing to even marry a prostitute to be a living lesson for the people of God. You see acceptance of faults in verses 7, 3 through uh, uh, 7, 3a. I do not speak to condemn you. This idea of condemning is passing final judgment. Um, uh, We sometimes will protect ourselves by just cutting people off. Just go ahead and sign it. We're just going to write that person off. They're hopeless. Uh, They're not going to be sanctified anymore. They're just super immature or whatever it might be. Paul just didn't do that. Now, you do get to a point in time where, for instance, the church, you might have a situation where we would have a trial with someone who was uh, uh, in some kind of unrepentant sin. and You could get to the point of excommunication. And at that point in time, the church is basically saying, you need to treat this person like an unbeliever because they have demonstrated that they're not really a believer. There is a point in time. There is a point in time, for instance, uh, if, uh, in an abuse situation where you, you, you don't have to guard your heart. You need to protect yourself from the abuser and that kind of thing. But by and large, in most of our daily relationships, we're a little too quick just to write people off. This is a problem with all of us, right? A little too quick. And, you know, you see this in... Paul Paul could have made a list of grievances against the Corinthian church. They kept him up all night. But he also understood that principle in 1 Peter 4, love covers a multitude of sins. Aren't you glad there are people in your lives that just didn't give up on you, that stayed in the fight? Personally, I was an extremely immature person when I got saved. There used to be this thing, I don't know if they say this, but someone just got saved, just made a commitment to the Lord, we would call them a baby Christian. I would tell everybody I was a preemie. You know, I was on life support for a little while, you know. Just immature, you know. And there were some faithful people who just put up with it for a while. There are still faithful people who put up with it even now. I just think it's important. You know, here's, here's in a marriage relationship, let's, let's take a marriage relationship that's under some stress. You get into an argument and the, and the bitterness starts coming up. And what starts coming up when the bitterness starts coming up? The lists, right? The list of all the offenses. Well, he, is, he removes himself. He is not financially doing the things he ought to do. He hadn't taken out the garbage today. You know, he's, he snores. You know, you just got this list, you know. And then he's got his list on her. Well, she's controlling and she just... Uh, Uh, She irritates me all the time, and she cuts off my sentences and all this kind of stuff. Let me tell you, we all got a list. We all got a list. And the kind of love that Paul's talking about, this acceptance of faults, is recognizing we both are both, both very, very imperfect person. But God is using the other one to grow us up. Don't, Don't let those lists form. Keep those lists down. Love covers a multitude of sins. Loyal commitment, verse 7, 3. For I have said before that you are in our hearts to die together 
and to live together. There's this mutual fellowship here that's centered on the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and that fellowship builds strong churches. You know, I am amazed uh, the number of people I know that, are, that have stayed in mainline churches that long ago abandoned truth. And there's plenty of them. Uh, some of you are refugees from some of these churches that have come to this church. Mainline churches that abandon church. And if you talk to them, why are you still in this church that no longer respects God? You're basically, they don't believe the supernatural. That's what liberalism basically denies. You don't believe there's anything supernatural. It's, it's, a, it's a religious lion's club, more or less. A, a country club uh, that, that meets on Sunday morning, that kind of thing. And you know, if you were to ask them why, they would say, boy, my Sunday school class was just there for me. I've got a group of ladies that I get with two times a week, you know, and they were just there. For, it's fellowship that's kept them there. It's fellowship that's kept them there. Now, that's the downside of that uh, fellowship. They should, have, they should have run when they gave up on the Bible. But fellowship keeps them there. Fellowship is powerful. What would happen if you had truth and really strong fellowship? That'd be amazing, wouldn't it? We could change the world. We grow the truth and we grow the fellowship at the same time. If people are willing to put up with apostasy for the sake of fellowship, how much more glorious is it if they stay in fellowship in, under the banner of truth? Now that's a church that'll make a difference, isn't it? I love this, uh, the idea of this clinging commitment. You see this, the greatest example here is Ruth, Right? You remember Ruth, a Moabitess? I mean, it's amazing. Some of the best examples from scriptures come from people who weren't even God's people. She's, she's actually a Moabitess. She was an enemy of God's people. Her, her husband's dead. She's with her mother-in-law. Mother-in-law saying, I've got to go back to my people. We're going to starve to death here in Moab. Uh, the other uh, sister-in-law uh, leaves. And then Ruth says, do not urge me to leave uh, uh, do not urge me to leave you or turn back from following you. Where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. Thus may the Lord do to me. And worse, if anyone but death parts you and me. Wow. That's commitment. And you know, that was faith. She's a single girl without prospects going back to a group of people who hate her people. And it's such a sweet little romantic story. I read the rest. I don't a spoiler alert here, but they get married and they have babies and it ends up being David and then Jesus. Spoiler alert, right? There's confidence in God's work in others. There's a, I love this. I mean, again... The Corinthian church has been nothing but trouble for Paul. But he says here in verse 7, 4, Great is my confidence in you. Now the reason why his confidence is so great in them is because his confidence is so great in God. Now Paul actually had some insight here. You remember when Paul, you look at the book of Acts, when Paul was in Corinth, there was a riot and there was all kinds of stuff like that. And then Jesus comes to Paul at night and says, Do not be afraid any longer, but go on speaking and do not be silent. For I am with you and no man will attack you in order to harm you. For I have many people in this city. God says in Corinth, the worst of all the churches, I have many people in this city. We would expect that in Philippi. That seemed to be this really joyful church. But he says in Corinth, I have many people in this city. In this city. So Paul knows he's not going to give up on them. 
He has faith in God to work through others. And then you see here appropriate boasting, the ninth one. Great is my boasting on your behalf. Normally boasting is negative, but here it's positive because he's boasting about other people. I boast about y'all all the time, all the time. People ask me about how the church is going, and I just start reeling off some of the things that are going on and some of the things that y'all are doing, the ministries that you're involved with, the hospitality of the church, the, the dynamics of the home group ministry right now, uh, uh, the wonderful things that, that are happening. Uh, it's just, it's, you just give me a lot of material to boast about. A lot of material to boast about. And I, I'm, I'm not really boasting about myself. I'm boasting about y'all. That's a... That's, that's a good thing. That's a good thing. And it's, a, it's shocking to me how many people, when I start describing my church, people go, wow, wow. And I'll say visit, and they'll go, oh, yeah, maybe someday. You know, and then never see them, you know. But Paul is just doing the same thing with Corinthian. With all that, he chose to look at all the wonderful things the Corinthian church was about and doing and not all these things that are creating difficulty. And then I love the last one, maybe one of the more important ones, a determined joy. Verse 7c, I am filled with comfort. I am overflowing with joy in all of our affliction. His, I, you know, he wasn't naive. It's not like the power of positive thinking. Paul obviously knows sin when he sees sin, right? This is not some kind of secular, just believe, you know? Paul knows what's going on here. In home group the other night, why well, you ought to go to home group, you get great sermon illustrations. One of our folks is a nurse, and they, she was with a 90-year-old man in the hospital. And uh, she, said, she, she was talking to the man, and she said, are you having a good day? And you know what his response was? The guy's, did I mention he's 90 in the hospital? He says, all days are good, some are better than others. Well, she said that, like, slap me about the face, you know. I thought, yeah, yeah, I would say that. Got to think about it. I've thought about that all week. All days are good. Some are better. If you woke up this morning, it's a good day. If you're 90 and you woke up, it's a great day. All days are good. Some are better than others. What if that was our perspective? I swore I wouldn't do this because I saw, you know, this happens with your parents and, you know, you go visit the old folks' home and stuff like that. But, you know, it, 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 it really sounds like a shift change at the hospital. Well, I've got this and I've got this. And, oh, you got that. You know that doctor? Yeah, I'm gonna, you know, you know, he needs new magazines in his office. Yeah. You know, it's just one thing. After that. And, I, and, I, and now I get together with other guys. I've got this. I've got this. How about if we thought it's a good day and some good days are better than others? And still be honest. I mean, you know, we want people to know where we are. We need prayer, that's for sure. But I love how he uses these terms here, this comfort and joy here. One commentator called the Apostle Paul the patriarch of ministerial pain. I mean, he really was. I can't imagine what his body looked like. Just scarred. And that would be the pretty part. His, His emotions would have been even more torn up. And yet... He just never grew bitter. He always believed in the potential of somebody because he believed in God himself. But I couldn't help but think when he said, I've got comfort and joy, one of our favorite Christmas carols, you know, God rest you, gentlemen, rest you, merry gentlemen. Now to the Lord sing praises, all you within this place, and in true love and fellowship, each other now embrace. This holy tide of Christmas is filled with heavenly grace. O tidings of comfort and joy, 
comfort and joy. O tidings of comfort and joy. Now we sing that at Christmas time because Christmas time is just a, you know, by and large a happy time. Paul would sing that in the depths of difficulty with this most difficult church. Well, I talked about the evidences of St. Valentine's, uh, hard evidences, and him writing uh, his wonderful Valentine's card. Um, I want to give you another example, close with another example. And, and regrettably, imperialism uh, has uh, received a, quite a black eye, and, uh, and, and indeed imperialism, is, according to especially, you know, the Belgians and the Spanish, was, was brutal in many ways. According to the British, though, it was often it had a lot of positive effects here. And I'm going to mention a, a Christian all of you should know, but Colonel Case is probably one of the only ones that he know, he, who would know this man because he probably was studied at, at West Point. But his name is, I might even look up just to get some recognition here. His name was, um, his name was on the other page. <laughs> I want to get it all right. General Charles George Gordon, or known as Chinese Gordon. Ringing any bells? Addison, you got to know. Addison knows everything. Yeah? No? Really? Okay. All right. Sorry to point out your failure, Addison. feel kind of bad about that. All right. He was a veteran of the Crimean War in China, where he got the idea of China, uh, the nickname Chinese, and then the Sudan. He was a philanthropist and an evangelical Christian. He never married. I mean, that would be a difficult lifestyle for any wife, but he just devoted him things to the, 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 uh, the things of the Lord. Uh, he's the one that discovered Gordon's Calvary there in the Middle East, a potential uh, burial site for Jesus. And he was killed in Sudan after a one-year siege in the city of Khartoum. He refused to leave the Sudanese, the, uh, uh, basically a, a jihadist. This j- jihadism didn't start with 9-11. It's been around for a long time. Muhammad Ahmed claimed to be uh, the Mudayah. Uh, who, was, uh, who, was the, who would bring in the second uh, coming of Esau or Jesus. And basically, he was forcing jihadism on everybody uh, in Sudan. He said, he who does not believe in me will be purified with the sword. Boy, that, that sounds modern now, doesn't it? But anyway, they were going to go besiege Khartoum. All the foreigners had been evacuated by this time. Gordon stayed to help the, the innocent Muslims defend themselves uh, ended up, the siege failed. Gordon was killed on the steps of the palace here, and Muhammad Ahmad went and uh, slaughtered 10,000 of his own countrymen uh, in retaliation for them being with, uh, with the British and not embracing his form of, uh, of Islam. Uh, it, here's, here's something you need to know about Gordon, though. He did it because he, he was willing to die for the people he loved, even if they weren't Christian. Chinese Gordon said this, The whole secret of our trouble is want of love to God. If we have it to Him, we shall find it impossible not to have it for others. Alfred Lord Tennyson wrote a poem about Gordon. He said, Warrior of God, man's friend and tyrant's foe, now somewhere dead far in the waste of Sudan, thou livest in all hearts, for all men know this this earth has never borne a nobler man. Muhammad Adi struck his head up between two trees and let kids throw rocks at it. One commentator compared two different gravestones, tombstones in London. One of them said this, Here lies a miser who lived for himself and cared for nothing but gathering wealth. Now where he is or or how he fares, 
nobody knows and nobody cares. Compare that to the tombstone or the memorial at St. Paul's Cathedral for Chinese, General Chinese Gordon. Sacred to the memory of General Charles George Gordon, who at, at times and everywhere gave his strength to the weak, his substance to the poor, his sympathy to the suffering, and his heart to God. That's a great tombstone. That's a man who devoted his life to giving evidences of the heart, evidences of love to others. That's the kind of guy that the Apostle Paul was like and that we need to be like as well. Father, I pray that you would help us to go to school. Lord, I think about even our own denomination, how the Erskine brothers were in the midst of a cold, legalistic, spiritually dead Church of Scotland, and for the sake of love and evangelism, they broke out and formed the Associate Presbytery, which became our denomination. Uh, our denomination was born out of this zeal to show hard evidences of love. Let it, all this that's gone, all that Paul wrote, all that people before us have demonstrated not go to waste on us. While the disciples were arguing about who is the best, the Lord Jesus Christ was busy washing their feet. Let us be willing to be foot washers while other people have the arguments. And on this Valentine's Day, help, to help us to, do, to show evidences of our true heart love for others. In Christ's name, 